Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rate of Return podcast, a 30-minute podcast whose entire purpose is to equip you with the tools and resources to become the best financial version of yourself. From investing in the stock market or real estate to cleaning up your personal finances, putting you on track to become a millionaire, the Rate of Return podcast exists to give you actionable insights that you can work toward today. Joining me is the Vice President of Crypto Investing at Betterment, Jesse Proudman. Rewind to 2003 when Jesse would begin his freshman year at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. During this time, he would found a cloud technology company named Blue Box Group. Essentially, the Blue Box Group delivered private cloud as a service to hundreds of companies around the world. After a decade, he caught the attention of IBM, where he went to become the CTO, Chief Technology Officer, of IBM's Bluemix Private Cloud. Jesse became incredibly interested in cryptocurrency, so much so that he actually left IBM to then found Strix Leviathan, I think I said that right, a cryptocurrency hedge fund in 2018. This fund was specifically focused on providing the best possible risk-adjusted returns for investors. In 2021, Jesse would then found uh, Makara. In 2022, Betterment announced their intention to acquire Makara, bringing simple crypto investing to their platform. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. And I'm going to hope I didn't miss anything. Maybe I did? No, my, my pleasure of being here. And no, you nailed it. Perfect. Perfect. So your your background and tenure is incredible. And I think, though, my audience would be a lot more interested in talking about and learning about this crypto hedge fund and Macar and stuff like that. Like, sure, we could talk about private cloud as a service, but to be quite honest with you, I'm not even sure. Nobody if I wants know what to talk is. about private cloud as a service. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a boring topic. I love it. So, so would you mind walking us through why you decided to start a hedge fund in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So after the acquisition uh, at IBM in 2015, I spent about a year and a half integrating the broader Blue Box product into IBM. And then in 2017, I moved over to work with IBM Ventures. And in that role, my job was effectively to design uh, and prepare to launch an accelerator focused on blockchain. So effectively, I was paid to research the, the blockchain space. And through 2017, became totally enamored with what was happening in this asset class. It, it really reminded me of 1997, sort of the, the birth or popularity of the uh, rising popularity of the internet, where we've got these functional networks uh, that, that have proven to be resilient, and reliable, and sort of all of the applications that are going to ride on top of those and how those uh, networks are going to be used, that all is still being developed. And, and it's an industry that moved incredibly quickly, sort of never a boring day. Uh, and just knew I wanted to, to do something more deep in the in the space. IBM came back at the end of Q3 of 2017, and there, there wasn't budget to launch the accelerator program. And at that point, I, I knew I wanted to do something more deep here. Uh, and so effectively ended up leaving at the end of Q4, January 1st of, of 18, and launched Strix. The thesis here was that this, this asset class, crypto in general, really suffers from opaque fundamental value. That's not to say that there's no fundamental value here. Um, you know, there are certainly people that would, would argue that. But but my belief is that sort of the, the reason that I believe Bitcoin is worth something and the reason you believe Bitcoin is worth something, um, those aren't invalid reasons. They're just different. And so in the traditional markets where there are sort of valuation models that exist and you can sort of generally have some sense of, of what uh, people believe a, a stock should be worth, that doesn't exist here. And, and a lot of the price action as a result of that is behavioral in nature. 
sort of fear and greed that move these markets. And the belief with Strix was that if fear and greed move those markets, those are patterns that will manifest themselves in price data. And one of the unique characteristics about this asset class is that all that price data is public. So where in traditional equities, if you want to see sort of tick by tick trade data, you need to go license that data from a, a data provider. Here, all of the exchanges where these assets are traded have published that uh, for free and in real time. And so ostensibly, the belief is we could go capture that data, normalize it, look for patterns, and then trade off of those patterns, really, again, to provide sort of a, a better risk-adjusted return uh, for investors. How could we, we minimize uh, the drawdown that it inevitably happens in this asset class while trying to, to maximize upside capture? That is incredibly well just broken down, Jesse. And, and the one thing that kind of came to mind as a follow-up question to that uh, when you were talking about starting this in 2018, we all know that you know this Bitcoin uh, kind of boom and bust that had happened in 2017, 2018, I, we were certainly going through a bust at that time, right? In, in Q4 of 2018, things kind of uh, hit their highs. And, and I think it was like, or like the first week of January or something, right? Of 2018. And with that being said, like I've certainly never raised any money for a hedge fund. Uh, I don't know if a lot of that came from you or from, I, I don't know, but I'm really interested. Do people have any like pushbacks saying like, hey, like what do you mean you want to invest in Bitcoin? Like look look what's happening to it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had the worst timing arguably to start that company. So we, we launched in <laughs> January of, of 18 uh, or, the, or the company was founded in January of 18. The, the fund itself launched in April of 18 which was the last sort of material positive month for the year. And so from May forward uh, to, to the end of the year, uh, the markets just collapsed and particularly so uh, sort of in, in November. Um, it was very difficult to, to raise capital for the fund itself. And it's fascinating as, as an entrepreneur, my, my thesis going into this was that raising equity capital for the business was going to be difficult given we were sort of building in this peculiar space. Um, and raising fund capital, given it was liquid, would be a, a more simpler task. And I was proven completely wrong. It, it was actually incredibly easy to raise the equity capital. I think because arguably we were still in the tailwinds of 2017. And people were still uh, sort of excited about what was happening in the asset class. The, the doom and gloom of, of 2018 hadn't hit uh, the sentiment yet. Um, and then once the fund launched, sort of that doom and gloom was was real for folks and uh, sort of being able to to go get excited about the, the space uh, was was a challenge for many people. The, the irony about this entire asset class is that sort of in these periods of, of uh, bear market uh, time, when investors arguably sh should be the most excited about the asset class, they they tend to be the, the most shy and apprehensive. Um, and and people tend to be the most excited right around the, the top. So um, it, it's sort of an interesting psychology experiment around market behavior um, and, and how it manifests themselves, particularly like it's just such repeatable patterns uh, that we've seen time and time again uh, here. So uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a big challenge um, and it took us probably into the, the end of 19, beginning of 2020 before we really gained sort of material momentum and, and people really started to understand what we were trying to do and, and get excited about uh, that strategy. Yeah, and I think um, I just I'm really fascinated talking to you. I, I, this is a lot more than I was expecting, which is great. Um, I, I think what's really cool too, and something you talked about before, was like you know thinking of cryptocurrency in the sense of like the fundamentals, right? And like like the fundamental value of these different things. So um, 
the I got into cryptocurrency back in like 2016, 17 because of what like what happens with Bitcoin and like it was cool as on Twitter a little bit, right? But what, what really got me excited about it was this project called Chainlink because I could understand it. I understood what Chainlink did. I understood like what all that looked like. So kind of talking back to like the fundamentals, like I, I think you're spot on there. And I think that that's what's really going to unlock this asset class to a lot of people. It's like, okay, it's not just a number moving up and down on a, on a computer screen, but I now understand like what type of value these projects can add to enterprises or their users, which I guess moves us into our next question, right? Um, you know, what about, Makara, and I, and I think what's interesting here is like, one, how did the idea of Makara come to mind? And two, it seems like the branding of Makara was like this ease and simplicity. So what of these investing strategies and philosophies with the crypto hedge fund have translated through to what Makara ultimately turned into? Yeah, absolutely. So it was the end of 2020, the Strix team was, was sitting down on an offsite, really thinking through the technology that we've built and, and what the market was looking for. And as a hedge fund, we were a, a regulated entity or uh, technically an exempt reporting advisor, uh, but we were constrained to who we could sell to. We, we could only sell to qualified purchasers. So that's 5 million in investable assets and up or 25 million for an institution. So it's, it's a very sort of small subset of, of the total population. And what we found is that we were having so many conversations with people that were really interested in what was happening in crypto, but they didn't know where to start. They were intimidated, they were confused, and didn't feel like they were really good options. If you, you think about it, what folks really were looking for is some kind of diversified mutual fund or ETF, um, but it's become really apparent that that is not a product that, that will be uh, available to investors anytime soon. And so we, we sort of scratched our heads and said, hey, what if we could build the equivalent of, of a diversified mutual fund or ETF, but do it in sort of a direct indexed methodology and do it under a regulated banner? Like, Could that uh, simplify the, the access and exposure to this asset class and really unlock and open the door to investors who, who have been sitting on the sidelines interested, but, but sort of concerned or unaware of, of kind of how to get started? So that, that was the original genesis, the idea. And we ultimately concluded that uh, we could use the, the registered investment advisor licensing structure um, as the, the regulatory wrapper. And then within that, uh, effectively be able to design model portfolios, or we, we call them baskets on the Makara side, uh, that provide access and exposure thematically uh, across the asset class. So that was kind of the, the, the genesis. We wanted to be able to have investors invest holistically. Like if you just want to buy S&P 500, we wanted these sort of the equivalents uh, of that in crypto, which became our, our universe basket. But we also wanted investors to be able to invest thematically. We, we think people invest in this asset class, not just uh, because the returns can be compelling, but because they're curious and they're interested in certain segments of, of the asset class. And so being able to offer specific baskets targeting specific sectors, things like the metaverse or Web3 or decentralized finance, really allowed investors who otherwise didn't have time to go figure out all of the specific nuances of the 17,000 different assets here, uh, to be able to participate in, in the areas that they found most interesting and, and to do so without having to put uh, sort of the, the months and months or, or years of research that many of the early adopters have, have spent uh, sort of in, involved here. I think that that is the most straightforward approach to it, right? I feel like at everyone's core, we all have, if it's cryptocurrency, if it's the stock market, if it's 
entrepreneurship, we all have very specific things we're passionate about, we want to learn about, and we want to invest toward, right? And by putting guardrails and identifiers, uh, baskets around those things with clear themes, clear descriptions, clear outlines as to what you're investing in and what that potential future might look like or you know all of that i think it's incredibly empowering because it not just gives people the certainty of saying i know what this is i'm excited about this but it's also i now can have a piece of that future and it's it's just so much more empowering right uh and and so that's actually leads me to my next question jesse like I like to think I know what decentralized finance is and, and who some of these big players are in decentralized finance and DeFi with you know Chainlink and stuff like that. So like I'm very familiar with the term. But you also have blue chips. You've got a couple other of these baskets that you've named and identified for people. You mentioned the universe, right? There's so many um, different types of identifiers you guys have, have, have created for your customers. What constitutes a blue chip? What constitutes decentralized finance? What constitutes a universe, right? How do you guys make these decisions? Is there a rubric? Is there a model you guys have built out? And and how transparent is that with the investors? Yeah, this is a great question. And this is one of the biggest challenges that we had was figuring out how do you simplify a lot of the naming and, and construction of these baskets in a way that is simple to understand. So when we launched Makara, we, we wanted to have something that we felt was very defensible and that we could point to sort of a, a model that we use. And so we, we went with this indexing approach uh, versus sort of individual uh, market selection. And so that the universe basket, for example, is effectively just everything that we have available on the platform. If we back up one moment, as a registered investment advisor, you, you are required to work with a qualified custodian to, to custody client assets. So Makara isn't holding your assets directly. We're working with a, a provider to do that. And we, uh, after some extensive research at the end of 20 and 21, we elected to work with Gemini as our qualified custodian. But that also means that the world of assets that, that we can invest in is constrained to the world of assets that is supported at Gemini. So we effectively took the, the assets that they provided uh, and we we did a pass, effectively a volume pass over them to make sure that they were were tradable. We wanted to make sure that, that we could get our clients in and out of those assets. Uh, but once we felt comfortable with that volume pass, uh, they they that became part of our our universe of of underlying assets. Then we we thought about sort of the the next more thematic offerings, um, and again we we really wanted to try to have these rule based. So blue chips, for example. The underlying rule set there is simply that the top 10 largest by market cap assets uh, available on, on platform. And it's an interesting one because when we launched, those, those did feel sort of like the, the blue chips in the asset class, sort of name to name as you would think of them in, in the equities markets. Uh, but this market, these markets change so quickly that, that you end up with certain assets that you otherwise might not consider blue chip uh, that, that fall in that, that top 10 market cap selection. So I think that, that for us was more of a, a naming uh, a naming challenge. And I think if we could go back in time, we, we might rename that uh, to something that more clearly indicated it, it was top 10 uh, by, by market cap and not sort of a subjective uh, set of decision-making uh, around what, what constituted a, a blue chip. The thematic offerings themselves, we, we worked with Masari as a, a data provider and, and really leveraged their uh, classification from an asset by asset perspective. And so they've done a great amount of work uh, looking at, at all of the various assets here and, and bucketing them into the, the different uh, sectors or segments. Uh, and so that, that was our uh, primary 
uh, driver. And so effectively we took that, that universe uh, list of assets and, and we filtered it through the, the categorization from Masari and what came out the other side became uh, the, the assets themselves for the, the individual, uh, for the individual thematic offerings. So that was the goal. We, we really wanted to make this a, a rule driven, uh, a rule driven offering that was not subjective that we could point to and say, here's the criteria that was used uh, to come up with these specific indexes. I think that makes a lot of sense, right? And and you're kind of right there with the whole naming thing. I feel like that is the hardest part because, you know, when someone hears blue chip, when I hear blue chip, I think like, okay, like Dow Jones, like, you know, top, I'm thinking like the Apples, the Microsofts, those really cool companies we all know and love. Um, and it's like, what exists like that for crypto? And, and kind of to your point, it's like the top 10, but it's obviously like, the top 10 during the 2018 peak are much different than the top 10 during the peak that happened uh, more recently, right? So it's 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 a naming thing for sure. Well, um, everybody has opinions. That's the, the most fascinating right, part, right? right. So, so the, the most curious piece with the blue chip that, that we saw was in January of, uh, of 22, this year, uh, Doge ended up becoming part of the, the top 10 by market cap on platform. And we saw a significant number of clients who were really excited by that. And we saw a significant number of clients that were not excited by that. Right. So we, we, we have a neat feature that allows clients to block assets to essentially say, I don't want my baskets to hold this particular thing. And so that, that was our mechanism we uh, used to allow investors to sort of customize their holdings. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating. Just again, if you, if you go back to the fact that these assets really have opaque fundamental value and that people believe in them for different reasons. Like everybody has their own perspective on, uh, on what they want to hold. Some, some people are, have a stronger opinion than, than others. Uh, but it, it became a, a really interesting challenge trying to think through how do you do that in a, in a way that satisfies everybody's desires. So that actually leads me really well into my next question here, which is like, now that Makara is under Betterment's umbrella, how would you describe crypto and other digital currencies fitting into an investment portfolio, right? You say that you know people are excited about Doge, but they're also like not excited to be to have Doge in their in their portfolio, right? So it's like, you know, per, for example, I have about a third of my liquid assets invested into crypto and other digital assets. Uh, and Betterment clearly believes there's now room for uh, cryptocurrency within the everyday investor's portfolio. So like, who is Makara's ideal customer, and how are they thinking about fitting this into their portfolio? And are they excited to want to fit some of these things into their portfolio? Yeah, it's a great question. So when, when we launched Makara, our thesis was uh, that that the target client was effectively this crypto curious investor, somebody who uh, was interested in the asset class, sort of knew about what was happening here, but didn't have the time to go research what was happening. And to a large extent, either had sort of fear of missing out or fear of messing up. Uh, this, this interesting challenge around how do I not make a mistake given everything that, that's happening and, and sort of the pace of innovation that's happening in, in the asset class. One of the things that we were most excited about as part of this Betterment acquisition was being able to leverage the sort of the massive team and experience that, that Betterment has, particularly sort of from an RIA platform, being able to leverage all their operational tooling, but but also their research organization. And so we've, we've been able to uh, spend a lot of energy and time over the last two months working with that group to to understand this client base and, and what they really want, more so than just sort of our, our anecdotal uh, concept that we had when we launched Makara. And, and I think that's it's exactly right. There is this uh, group of investors 
who have either dabbled a bit uh, in in crypto. You know, they've they've gotten started. They may have bought a little bit of Bitcoin or a little bit of Ethereum, and and now don't really know what to go do next, uh, or have been totally sitting on the sidelines waiting for a simpler path uh, to to get invested. And the objective with the the Betterment crypto product that'll launch this summer is is really again to to provide that that ease of entrance into this asset class to provide an offering that allows those investors sort of the, the comfort uh, to participate. So the, that's where we're getting started. From a uh, sort of sizing perspective, I think Betterment's point of view is that sort of 5% for the, the sort of average investor, the typical investor, 5% of your portfolio is an appropriate place to start. I think it's so an I'm investor exposed is what I'm hearing right now. Well, it's huh? it's, it's, an, it's investor <laughs> by investor uh, specific, right? I, I think uh, the the challenge with this asset class is that it's incredibly volatile, and we think over the long run there is a lot of potential upside. But through that, you you have uh, periods of time where portfolios draw down, and so again, kind of on an investor by investor basis, you have to be comfortable with those drawdowns. If if you are later. Uh, later in life towards retirement, you're probably less tolerant of, of large shutdowns. If you're earlier in your investing career, maybe that's that's more okay and you're willing to, to take on that risk. Uh, and so I think our, our job at Betterment, as, as they've done in traditional equities, is to really explain the risk profiles that, that exist here and make sure people understand both the, the positives of investing in this asset class and the negatives. Uh, it's it's not a guaranteed set of returns, right? This is a, it's a, a new emerging asset class we, we think of it a little bit like frontier markets. And so in, in some extent, you, you've got to be prepared for everything that comes along with that uh, and, and kind of size your allocation into your portfolio accordingly. I really like that answer. Um, before, when you mentioned like those crypto curious people, I feel like that's just such a buzzword right now, right? Crypto curious. Um, but I think what's interesting is I, I totally agree. I think that there's a lot of people who are between the age of call it like 28, where they're, you know, kind of too old to really be like deep in that NFT market. And like, they're not Gen Z, so they're not like deep into those, like, right. But like, they understand Bitcoin, they've heard of it all the way up to maybe like 40 years old, where they're really like, I don't know what's going on, but my, 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 my friend's talking about it, whatever, like they really get it. They know it's a thing and they should be exposed to it. I feel like this is their bread and butter, right? They're like, I'm running to Betterment. I'm going to run to Makar right now. They've got it all figured out for me. The research is there. The themes are there. I'm ready to go. Take my money, take my 5% perhaps. Um, and let's and let's have some fun. Uh, I, I totally agree. And I think those people, I'm sure there's a lot of, of those people who are listening right now. Um, and so, you know, maybe they have some questions. And uh, if, if those questions are uh, on top of mind, definitely go check out Makar and Betterment's website. So a kind of final sign-off question here, Jesse, that I ask all of my guests. Um, fast forward 12 months from now, right? It's, it's now May of 2023. What do you think people are going to be referring to when they say to themselves, oh, how did I miss this? It was so obvious. Like what was that trend that's happening right now that's just so obvious that people are just not paying attention to and they're just going to feel terrible that they missed out on it? Yeah, that's a, it's a tough one. I think, and it's why I like this asset class to begin with. It's you, you never sort of know what that thing is in, until bam, it's already there. So decentralized finance, you know, two years ago was, was that thing, but it wasn't really apparent until bam, it was there. Metaverse last summer, uh, was the thing until bam, it was there. NFTs right now, so bam, they're there. Uh, so the velocity of, of innovation that, that's happening here 
really ends up uh, resulting in assets and, and sectors emerging so quickly and that, that it's hard to, to really track, which again is why I think kind of diversified investing versus trying to, to go pick stock pick individual uh, names can can be a great way to, to participate in, in that upside. But it's it's fascinating to me that the biggest thing happening in the asset class right now, in, in my eyes, is regulatory clarity that's been emerging. We've, we've been talking about this as an industry for the last four or five years. Um, in 2017 and 2018, there was effectively no regulatory clarity. Everybody's operating in, in a very opaque environment. Um, everything was very gray. Um, the lawyers made a killing because there were no clean answers. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and over the last five years, I think it's become uh, sort of more and more clear about how uh, both service providers or companies can operate in the space as well as how investors uh, can participate in the space. It's not perfect. There's still a long way to go. Uh, but that continuing regulatory clarity over the next 12 months, over the next 24, 36, uh, I think that that benefits everybody uh, participating here, just making everything more uh, more comfortable, uh, comfortable for investors, comfortable for, com- uh, for companies operating. As, if people understand sort of the the walls that they can operate within, it, it makes everything a, a simpler world uh, to offer products and services in. So that's the piece that, that I'm most excited about. And, and we'll see as a function of that sort of what uh, what sectors benefit the most. I think it's a really good take, Jesse. Um, I actually spoke with someone who had a very similar take with what happened with BlockFi. And I think it was New Jersey that came down on them or something that was happening. And I was like, oh, they're screwed. Like, I'll see you later, BlockFi. People are like, no, no, no. Like, this like, may be for them, but like, this is good because like at scale, like over time, this is going to now help us figure out the guardrails, figure out like how best can we work with regulators to make sure that this can be an asset class that, is available for everyone and anyone to learn more and participate in. So I, I, I love that. Totally agree. Yeah, um, exactly right. Great. This was a lot of fun, Jesse. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to talk to uh, before I signed us off with some disclosures here, but I'll give you a second. No, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me today. Wait, actually, where, where can people find you? Are you on Twitter? Got, we got some, some, uh, some, we got a blog perhaps? Where are we at? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Jesse Proudman, J-E-S-S-E-P-R-O-U-D-M-A-N. Cool. There we go. Everyone go follow Jesse on Twitter. I love it. <laughs> so uh, we've got some disclosures here. So Jesse, please uh, bear with me. Argonaut Asset Management Incorporated doing business as Makara is a wholly owned subsidiary of Betterment Holdings Incorporated and as an affiliate of Betterment LLC and an affiliate of Betterment LLC, excuse me. The above material and content should not be considered to be a recommendation. Investing in digital assets is highly speculative and volatile and cryptocurrency is only suitable for investors who are willing to bear the risk of loss and experience sharp drawdowns. Purchases or holdings of cryptocurrency are not FDIC or SIPC insured. Boom, baby. Now we got the disclosures out of the way. Hope everyone listening uh, enjoyed themselves. Jesse, um, this was a blast, man. You are a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for joining me, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here.